The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Right now on Fast, the Fed chairman telling Congress he is strongly committed to bringing down inflation. He hopes the rate hikes do not push the economy into recession, but says it is certainly a possibility. We will dig into Chair Powell's hawkish push and how it will impact the markets. Plus, Meta's mega metaverse push. CEO Mark Zuckerberg going one-on-one with Mad Money's Jim Cramer right now. We will have a sneak peek into the exclusive conversation. Jim also, by the way, got to spend some time with Zuckerberg in the metaverse. The traders are ready to break down Meta's big bet. And later, the fine print on Revlon's off-the-chart surge. Why the desk is warning that you should think twice before buying shares in this bankrupt cosmetics company. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq market site in the heart of Times Square. On the desk tonight, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Steve Grasso. Markets unable to hold on for a second day of gains today, ending the day slightly lower after Fed Chairman Jerome Powell's testimony this morning. The Dow up nearly 250 points at its highs, closing down a tenth of a percent. We're going to get all the market action later on in the show, but we start off with a news alert on the company formerly known as Facebook. Jim Cramer just sitting down for an exclusive interview with Meta CEO Mark Zuckerberg. Let's listen to what he had to say just moments ago. The metaverse, it's this broad thing. It's its not just virtual and augmented reality, although those are going to be some of the new major computing platforms that need to get invented for this. But it's also, I think, going to be the next uh, kind of most immersive and, and rich way that people want to express themselves across social media, too. So it kind of goes across everything that we do. And it's going to be a big theme for us over the next decade. Meta spent $10 billion last year to grow its metaverse business, but shares have been cut nearly in half since the company announced its new focus eight months ago. So when will this investment start paying off? Why should we believe Mark Zuckerberg, Tim? Well, because at times it's appeared that they were leaders, at least in the social media space and the sheer size of the platform. You know, Facebook has legitimacy because there are many times we actually didn't believe that they could fight through very difficult periods in their history, including credibility dynamics and, and, and privacy issues and social. So uh, to me, the issue here is they are so far out ahead of so many other companies that I would also think, I mean, why isn't Google investing in, in the metaverse in this capacity who seemingly they're going toe to toe with? Why aren't we hearing about TikTok? And it's not to say that these companies aren't there. But this whole, hey, we're going to invest now for the future, there's a whole, there's, a, there's an expression in investing, you've got to be able to eat while you dream. And, and right now, I don't think that Facebook investors are eating too well. In fact, I think they've got indigestion. The valuation reflects not only 
some sense that there's a lot of cyclicality in their business, and this is the low end of the cycle. But we've been talking about Facebook, and it's been underperforming, and it's been a, it's been a governance risk, it's been an ESG risk, it's been, uh, I think there's been a management credibility risk priced into the stock for a long time. It's down 59% from its highs in the past month. It is down, what, 16 17% versus the NASDAQ 100, which is down just 2%. So at this point, you know, you have to believe in that future. You have to believe that outside the cyclicality that we're seeing now, that the business is actually in a fundamental way strong, even if things like targeting is going to be much more difficult to do with its ads in the future. Yeah, listen, this is a good start. I mean, Mark Zuckerberg sitting down with Jim Cramer and really explaining about what his vision going forward. We know that Sheryl Sandberg had just left. She's still on the board for a little bit. But this is going to be his management team to reshape and to kind of re-envision what this company is. And let's not forget, this company has three billion monthly active users. They're going to do $125 billion in sales this year. And I think it's important to note, Mel, you just mentioned it's down. 60% 60% from its all-time highs. It was nearly $1 trillion in market cap at its highs last year. You know, in 2018, the stock sold off 40%. And then in 2020, it sold off about 40%. Think about what their revenue base has done since 2018. It's gone from $55 billion to $125. It was $85 billion in 2020. So I guess you have an 80% gross margin. To Tim's point about what people are worried about, the spend that you just mentioned mm-hmm. last year, that was certainly a hit to this story as the company pivots. But it's trading 11 and a half times next year is expected to grow earnings and sales, again, 15% or so with 80% or so gross margins. That's about as cheap as you're going to find in this market with that sort of monopoly. That's sort of the math that you're doing in terms yes. of how you value it in, in terms of the spend and what they're making. Right, the spend and what they're making. And when I look at it and I look at, you know, the EBITDA multiple for a company like this, seven, yeah. seven. Mm. That's extraordinary. Right. The, obviously, the balance sheet is, you know, out of 30 plus billion of net cash. They do have a big buyback. You know, I think that to me, Zuckerberg deserves the benefit of the doubt because we always talk about the major pivots that the company has made. Right. Obviously, mobile very early on the Instagram purchase, which ended up se- seemed ridiculous at the time, obviously ended up being a complete home run. And then we had. Cambridge Analytica. I, the Sheryl Sandberg thing, I don't know what to make of it, really. It seemed like actually it was a long time coming. So I don't, I don't know how to think about that. But I, I do think they're getting very much penalized for this spend and yet getting no value that no getting no value that they will make something of it. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's entirely fair. So, however, I've said that for a while. I think it's ridiculously cheap. Uh, I'm surprised that you think it's ridiculously cheap, Dan. That's sort of maybe ridiculous isn't the word you use, but very, it's ridiculous that Dan thinks it's ridiculously yeah. cheap. Okay, ridiculous there you go. guys that? agree on the fact well, that it's... Well, that's shocking. I mean, well, hold on. They don't have to. Okay, <laughs> here we go. The way it's not cheap is if consensus estimates, which have already come down dramatically <laughs> for this year and next, if they haven't come down enough. And if they're able to now, with the stock down 60%, if things look achievable, then this stock is going to really work for the next you know, right. year or two. Well, I, I hope that in the interview, which, you know, the full interview will be at 6 o'clock on, on Mad Money. And right Looking now, forward we, just, to that. we only had a snippet because it's basically going on right now, um, Seagrass. So that we actually hear about what it is about the metaverse and how they plan to monetize that. I mean, the metaverse is cool. It seems mm-hmm. cool. It seems like it has a lot of possibility. Uh, Nick Clegg said that if it's just 10 percent of the pre-pandemic U.S. digital economy, that's a $200 billion business. Uh, that's a big number. We don't know how they get there. So what is the return on that $10 right. billion so- dollar in counting investment? So, so everyone's right. I agree with everyone that it's cheap. But, but it's cheap on their old business. We don't know what their new business is going to be or, or how accretive that's going to be to the old business. 
He described it to Jim Cramer as a broad thing. That doesn't really tell anybody what it is. So it sounds like he doesn't even understand what the metaverse is going to be. Then on top of it, he's not taking commissions from creators on Facebook or Instagram until 2024. So we don't even know, uh, I think it was Dan who said it, we don't know how this is going to be monetized in the future. When a stock is cut in half, you want to be a buyer of that stock, but no one knows what the future is for Facebook. So they're treating it, to Tim's point, like a growth stock. So I think they're over their skis. So I agree with the desk. I just don't, I think it's cheap for a reason. Here, here's the, also the other thing. I mean, you can, you can think that it's cheap right here, but also part of the equation is whether or not you think there's a, a place to put your money that will yield you better returns at this point in time, right? There's a, there's a, a value, a cost of the value of, of the capital that you have in Facebook planted here versus someplace else, Tim. And so when you take a look around, you can make the case, the valuation case for other tech names as well, yeah, th- this- which has might not be so... Un- unclear. Well, this is the part of the issue for Facebook is that there's an opportunity cost of your capital and the yeah. timeline to transition for the metaverse is something that I don't think we know. And it gets back to eating while you dream, but it also gets back to uh, also the, the, the aggressive spend that I, I do think uh, Zuckerberg has tried to scale back. The messaging has changed a little bit over the last quarter or two. They've tried, especially in the context of slowing ad spend to say, hey, you know, we don't have to do all of this here. But I, 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 I think that's the issue. Now, Facebook's been dead money. I pointed this out last night. Since 2017, we've had the greatest run ever uh, in tech companies, especially mega cap tech. And and Facebook's underperformed the S&P. Whereas you can't, I mean, look at NVIDIA, look at Microsoft. And and again, you can pick a level on the chart and and you can see that. But I I just think that the valuation is very exciting. I think it's going to stay cheap for some time because the transitions at big tech companies don't happen overnight. Yeah. Opportunity cost. Thank you. That was the word, mm-hmm. the phrase hey. that I was struggling to find. Uh, Karen, how do you think yeah. about that? Well, it's, it wasn't you bring up the 10 billion. It's not just a one time 10 billion. Right. right? In, it's this counting. ongoing. Yeah, it's yes. Ongoing. And counting. So it's ongoing. And I don't know exactly what multiple the market is assigning to that. But it feels to me like it's something really big. Mm-hmm. Therefore, sort of dampening the overall value of Facebook, the part of the business that makes it, you know, a ton of money. So um what, what is the right multiple? I don't know. This doesn't feel like it for sure. And, you know, clearly it's been just a disaster this year. But I, I just look at it from right here. If I own none, would I buy it today? Yes, I would. All right. Yeah, and I'll just mention this. If you're talking about a pivot, a lot of digital companies, right, have gotten through Web 2 are going to be pivoting as we think about what the new web looks like going forward over the next, you know, few decades or whatever. If you're going to start with a third of the planet's population on your platform, um, that's where you want to start. Um, That's where you want to throw tens of billions of dollars at and figure that out because this company has gone from basically 1 billion, you know, pre-IPO in revenue or whatever the heck it was to 125, you know, 10 years later. And I'm sure they're going to figure out how to monetize some new things. And again, it's kind of silly to call it the metaverse. There's going to be lots of different metaverses. And I think these guys will have multiple different metaverses and they're going to figure out how to monetize it with, you know, like they've never monetized WhatsApp. And, you know, at some point, is there B2B applications? Are there payments applications? You know, it just,
just goes on and on and on. Again, you know, I didn't feel this way about this stock in the fall, but it's right. really different here right now if you think expectations get low enough when they guide for the back half. I of just year. think that the, the digital ad spend, um, we're still so early in this, and Facebook yeah. is so far out and ahead along with Google's. In other words, that, yeah, there's cyclicality in what's going on right now with the economy, but when you think about the spend on digital, um, we're, we're still very early innings in terms of this is where the transition is all going. And, and, and so this is the part of the Facebook story that I don't understand the, the discrepancy in the valuation, why it's so cheap when, in fact, their core business, yes, it has a lot of cyclicality to it. And yes, there's been some margins that have come down. They've had to spend a lot on security. They've had to spend a lot on, on other dynamics. And, and But ultimately, it's still a very high margin business. And they're so out, far out in front. And we look at this country. It's made up of small and medium-sized businesses. They dominate that. And so this is the stuff that doesn't reconcile with this stock. All right. For more on what's ahead for Meta in the metaverse, let's bring in Brent Thill, the senior technology analyst at Jefferies. Brent, always good to speak with you. Um, I saw in the notes that you actually have a view of what you think uh, Meta's opportunity is for the metaverse. But I'm wondering if you actually heard that from the company itself, if you think that they're doing a good job elaborating what their vision, what their role is going to be in this metaverse and how they will monetize that. I think we're all learning. I think right now, uh, no, they haven't articulated it well, uh, but we're in the early stages of this. And, and most of uh, the analysis we've done are just our, our own thoughts of where this could go. And clearly, it's going to take time. This is a three to five year journey, and it's going to be multiple phases, multiple vendors, as they've called out NVIDIA, uh, Microsoft, a handful of, of, of leaders are going to be part of this build out of this new this new world. So we can't just point our finger and say it's it's only just Facebook. It's it's the whole industry that's trying to build this next chapter. And it's really just the next generation of the Internet. It's not like all of a sudden we're going to show up and it's the meta world like it's it's a it's it's an evolution. And so I think everyone's paying too much attention to this. And, and in the core, you still have a, a thriving ad business trading at seven times EBITDA on a great call option right now where the sentiment is probably the worst in internet and maybe the worst in tech that, of all the names we cover. So your view on, on the metaverse is that they will have hardware sales uh, through the, the sales of the Oculus headset, that they'll have content sales, that they will have a subscription business. So these streams of revenue, this is in addition to the advertising, because I would imagine some of the advertising that's happening on the platform over time will migrate to the metaverse. I'm not sure how, what the incremental ad dollar will be to Facebook ultimately, but are these other areas incremental revenue streams? They're all incremental. Today, it's largely advertising driven. So now you layer in uh, hardware with Oculus. You can have content you can purchase inside as you're looking through different content. You can grab a, a piece of content, put it in your shopping cart. Uh, we're, I think we're going to have more subscriptions over time. We've seen Microsoft shift uh, that way as well in their gaming business. So I think subscriptions will be an element of this. And then and then commerce. And you know the analogy would be you put the Oculus headset on, which you pay for. You might be getting a, a golf lesson with Justin Thomas. And you, know, you, you look at the swing, and you pay to get that subscription from Justin Thomas if he does this for a group. And there's a pack of Pro V1 golf balls from Titleist sitting on the counter. You can grab that and put it in your, your basket and check out. I mean, there's, you can sit here and think, and I'm not a product manager, but you can sit and dream of the opportunities and things that they can do to help uh, those on the platform monetize this. This is going to take some time. We've got dozens of examples. But right uh -huh. now, it's really ad-driven, and these are layered in uh, parts of the business. And ultimately, when you think about, uh, as, as one of your presenters said, uh, about messaging, 
you know, there's just a tremendous opportunity. If you're a small business and I want to buy something online, do I want to have a chat with that individual? So why isn't there a subscription for small businesses on Facebook that can help them transact and do service and sales? They bought Customer, which is a, a company that helps do that. Why couldn't this turn into a, a broader subscription play over time? So I think there's a lot of call options over mm -hmm. time that they can explore. And uh, if I can come up with these ideas, I, I guarantee you they're coming up with way better <laughs> ideas than me. Don't discount yourself, Brent. Um, Karen has a very serious question, but I have sort of a dumb question. That is, if your avatar's golf swing gets better, does that mean that your golf swing gets better in real life? Probably not. Okay. That's, I mean, I was Probably wondering, not. what are you paying for? No wonder. No wonder. But that Justin Thomas golf thing. lesson is yeah, something yeah. you probably already had. Okay, so. Karen. All right. So, Brent, here's a question. Um, Right. Nobody knows how the metaverse is going to evolve. But I look at the numbers and just like you, I look at how cheap this thing is. But I feel like it's sort of two parts. There's the call it the you know legacy business that makes a bunch of money. What do you think is the penalty, I guess, put on the stock for this uncertain and big spend that's coming over a number of years? So I, I sort I of mean, look at it that yeah. way. They're getting penalized. I look at it now. I mean, they're spending between capex and in in opex on R and D and capex. I mean, they're like sixty billion a year. So if they spend ten, fifteen, twenty, I mean, they need to spend this, and and it's all not going to be in this little nice bucket called metaverse. Uh, again, I think that's a broad term. So they're just trying to build the platform up to get usage up, to get interaction up, up layer in these different services. So I, I think there's a huge penalty right now. As I visit our institutional clients, Facebook and uh, Uber have the single worst sentiment of, of any of the names we cover. And we cover a lot of tech stocks at, at the firm here. Uh, it's by far, no one wants to touch it right now because we're in a pit stop and no one really knows, is this a, hey, we're going to replace the chassis? Is it just the wheels? Are we going to get the windshield cleaned? Like no one really knows how long the pit stop is. And I've said this having covered tech for 20 years. Microsoft went through this with Balmer to Nadella, 30 to 300. Adobe, 30, when Steve Jobs was bashing Flash when he was alive, that, 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 that the internet was done and Adobe was done was the example, and it was $30 and went to 700 So I think you want to buy these times where you have great, uh, uh, great platforms that are in a transition, and we don't think that they've lost it. I, I don't know. I'm still addicted to Instagram, and I'm still getting better targeting. Mm -hmm. Advertisers we talk to are, are, are saying the same thing. The advertising targeting is still the best in the industry. I thought I saw you scrolling through the gram. Um, but one, one, one last question in terms of I've heard the, the parallel with Microsoft and Nadella. Amazon had the AWS service already, didn't it, at that time? So it wasn't like uh, the cloud was, was an unknown thing, that there was no blueprint for a path to profitability. We, well, we yeah, had if that, you get, didn't we? If you take the Microsoft analogy, mm -hmm. everyone thought it was an operating system company and Azure was out. And we did a lot of early work in Azure and no one cared. And all of a sudden, now it's the number two cloud player on the planet. That's the only number that anyone cares about in a Microsoft earnings print now. Uh -huh. So I, I, what I'd say is I think that there, there are hidden gems in this. It, yes, it's early. Yes, the advertising market can have a, a, the, the biggest downturn if the economy goes into a recession. This is the first area you're going to see uh, numbers cut. And maybe numbers still have to be cut harder before we've reached the trough. But right. I, I think when we're talking about three to five years out, we still we still believe in what they can they can pull off here. Brent, great to get your thoughts. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. Brent, though. All right. Um, Steve Grasso, the Microsoft analogy, that's a pretty interesting one. We all know what happened to that. 
Yeah, it's, it's interesting, but I, I think to, to Karen's point, well, Karen said she's willing to give Zuckerberg the benefit of the doubt. Investors are not willing to give him the benefit of the doubt if a quarter or a third of a spend is going to take away from the legacy business. So I think that's the way you have to think of it. They think investors are thinking that this is going to hurt the legacy business. But just to give you a technical level, during the pandemic, the March uh, 2020 low, Facebook was trading at $137. So if you want to get long, I would probably use that as your stop to the downside. All right. Well, be sure to keep it tuned here on to CNBC to the top of the hour for Jim's full interview with Mark Zuckerberg exclusively on Mad Money. Coming up, we are all over the after hours action in KB Home. Shares on the move after reporting results in the company conference call is underway. We'll bring you the numbers next. Plus, retail reduction. Could Kohl's be getting a lower bid? The potential new price tag on this retailer. We'll bring you the details next when Fast Money returns. Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Kohl's dropping hard today after sources told CNBC that retail holding company Franchise Group is considering lowering its bid for the department store chain to about 50 bucks, down from $60. I know Karen is not happy about this. I, I feel like this is like a Saturday Night Live spot where like, oh, OK, this crazy thing happened and now I'll come scream about it. This is ridiculous once again. Although, <laughs> to be fair, I do think that this is more likely coming from the buyer's side than the seller's side. Why would they do that? They'd want to talk the stock down, mm -hmm. get shareholders scared, and say, I'll take anything. I don't know how the board is going to respond to that, but one other thing that I found very And one unusual, more thing. One, yeah, and another <laughs> thing. Very unusual and disappointing was the notion that this management team would stay with the company if it were purchased. Right. That certainly makes you wonder, right, who's, you know, Whose side are they really on? Wouldn't they, wouldn't they want to get their own, their own side, yeah. which would say make a better, easier deal for the buyer, meaning a lower deal yeah. for the buyer? You know, enough talk already. You guys, you got to bring it home. You had said an exclusivity period for about three weeks. If it extends a little longer, that's fine. That happens. But this is just getting ridiculous. And, I, you know, it's, it just tell us again and again how much value management has destroyed for shareholders by their delay, their ridiculous plan. Um, you know, the stock was close to that 50. I don't know that it was 50. It was in, in the low 50s, I now think. Now it's 38. Yes. Now the stock's 38. And there's, you know, it, 
it, that's not as low as it's going to go if the deal breaks. It's going to go lower for sure. I don't know who comes in to buy it after. I think there will be parties interested in buying stock. And I think this target, this company will be a target again mm-hmm. of activism because of the terrible job that they've done for shareholders and misleading the shareholders with their ridiculous plans. So that's kind of all I have to say about that today. <laughs> I, I mean, feisty. <laughs> feisty. Yeah, I mean, again. to say the least. Um, let's switch to a, a calmer earnings alert here. <laughs> home builder KB Home uh, out with earnings after the Bella beat on the top and the bottom line. The conference call kicked off at the top of the hour. Diana Olick is here to take us inside those numbers. Diana. Yeah, Melissa, strong beats on both revenue and earnings per share. And the company is also reaffirming its full year guidance despite the sharp rise in interest rates and the slowdown that builders are reporting started just really a few weeks ago. KB CEO Jeff Metzger wrote in the release, sales rates are moderating from the exceptional levels the industry has experienced as buyers process the impact of higher mortgage interest rates as well as inflationary pressures. We believe the flexibility of our built-to-order business model will enable us to navigate these changing market conditions. Interesting, though, that in the guidance, it actually raised its previous estimate of the average home sale price to 500000 Previously, it had been in a range of four nine. To 500, but that built to order model suggests buyers might be looking for a break on price given obviously the higher cost now of borrowing. Melissa. All right, Diana, thank you. Diana Olick. Uh, Steve Grosso, you have been in this space in the past. Where are you now? Not, I'm not in the space, and I can't mm-hmm. be a, a buyer of the home builders if I think we're, we're headed towards higher rates, which everyone knows on the desk that we are. We are already there, and a recession that is uh, looming over us. If all the home builders are down, basically the same amount. The headline today was J.P. Morgan laying off people in their home mortgage division. I think you're going to see more down, uh, you know, down stocks. And I think this is not the worst. Uh, the worst is not over yet for the home builders. And I wouldn't be a buyer of Home Depot or Lowe's either. I was waiting for you to say the R word. Just waiting. It's, Mr. Like, it's like a drinking game. Mr. You R. Can drink anything Ooh. like water. By there, the way. There are, Seltzer. This is the right um, time of day that Fast Money's on, and our, our, our audience <laughs> is, somewhere. is a happy group. Um, we heard about all the all the layoffs in the mortgage industry from mortgage specific specific mortgage lenders as opposed to big banks, and it seems like there's another shoe to drop on that front in terms of the larger banks that expanded. To, to meet the huge volumes of mortgage applications that are now contracting. Um, Karen, what do, you, what do you think? How do you think that impacts uh, a J.P. Morgan, a Bank of America, for instance? Probably Bank of America, maybe a little bit more. Wells yeah. Fargo, I think, more than some mm-hmm. others. I think it's not a gigantic part of the business for J.P. Morgan, but I do think that, you know, we've talked about this a couple times, I do think that it's not that the Fed wants this to happen, but that it is a necessary byproduct of them doing what they need to do to squash inflation. And so I am not optimistic in the short term. Can you believe KB Home sticking by their full year forecast? I can because I think the housing market hasn't fallen apart yet. I mean, I think if you look at prices and if you look at even the numbers that we got earlier in the week on, on headline, yeah, they were, they were actually down a bit, but that actually we were at record prices. Their order book's up 23%. It grew, their, their backlog book grew 23% to 12,300 and something houses. I, I'm not worried about 22. And I, I think the, the stock obviously down 41% priced in a lot of that. They gave a second quarter guide a couple of weeks ago, which missed at least some of the streets. Stock traded down on that. Uh, we know the interest rate story, what it's meant for mortgage rates, has been almost a one-to-one correlation to home builders. So right now, no, I think their business is fine, but I am worried about 23. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Powell on the Hill telling lawmakers the Fed will fight inflation, but is it enough to prevent a recession? Our next guest says don't count on it. The details next. 
Plus, cosmetic caution. Shares of Revlon surging even after a bankruptcy announcement. So Karen Feinerman is digging into details that not even the best concealer can hide. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Welcome to the Canva guided meditation for stress at work. Impending deadline? Generate Canva presentations in seconds. So fast. Brainstorm got too big? Summarize with AI in a click. Writer's block. Release with Canva Magic Write. Magical. Stress less and save time at canva.com. Designed for work. Canva. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Fed Chief Jerome Powell telling the Senate Banking Committee today that he is committed to bringing down inflation, but he acknowledged aggressive rate hikes could tilt the economy into a recession. He'll be back on the Hill in front of the House tomorrow. Our next guest warns a recession is almost a sure thing. Peter Bookvar is the chief investment officer at Bleakley Advisory Group and a CNBC contributor. I mean, almost a sure thing. You say 99 percent, Peter. The question is, you know, how deep, how long? What's your take? Well, you, you make an important distinction because I do think the question is, is, is how long, how deep, mild or not, rather than are we going to have one? And I, I think it's possible that we have a mild one. But when you have a mild recession, that doesn't necessarily lead to a quick snapback, as opposed to a, a tough, sharp decline that usually leads to a sharp rebound. So I'm not sure which is necessarily better here, but I think it's still inevitable uh, that we do get you know, negative rates of business activity when we look to the back half of this year and even to next year. I know some people think it's not a, 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 until 2023, but I, I think we're either the beginning of one or just on the cusp of one. Powell today was asked about a, uh, the possibility of a 100 basis point hike, and he didn't rule that out. Do you think that he's getting more hawkish? Do you think that he's trying to get the markets more comfortable with a Fed that is much more hawkish than it was even just two months ago? I, I think it's his way of telling the markets that he's still very serious about trying to engineer uh, a sharp slowdown in inflation. And I say sharp rather than a slow rate of change on the decline of, of inflation. I don't think they go 100 at all, because I still think at the end of the day, they're going to be very sensitive to the economic implications of what they're doing. And Powell also acknowledged that, yeah, we could have a recession, but that typically is what happens when the Fed tightens, is you end up getting a recession. Hey, Peters, Tim, is 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 Powell basically Paul Volcker um, dealing in the aftermath of, of Miller and Burns and, and as opposed to, uh, you know, 
Powell dealing in the aftermath of Bernanke and Yellen. I mean, and, and, and is the dynamic very similar, which is a psychological overcoming of inflation. Uh, and what might be different, though, is the structural labor market changes and where uh, it's going to be really difficult to, to re- reverse the move in the labor market. So I'm just, you know, how much of this is psychological from the Fed at this point and how much of this is, is really what they've got to continue to do? Well, I, I think that they were embarrassed uh, by what they've presided over. And I think for the sake of, of Powell's reputation, he does not want to be Arthur Burns. Uh, you, you make a, a point that's important about the structural uh, change in the labor force and that that then keeps inflation elevated. And then that gets to, OK, what happens next? Let's just say that the economy is in a recession and inflation is only slowed to three to four percent. Does that all of a sudden become uh, tolerant by the Fed rather than trying to push that down to two? And I actually think the answer is going to be yes, uh, because they'll, they'll, they'll more lean towards uh, helping the economy than getting that inflation rate back to two. And we keep in mind, two is still just an arbitrary number. I think right now they want the direction of inflation to go down and to go down as quick as they can without causing too much economic damage. But I don't know how you can have one without the other. Peter, great to get your thoughts. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Melissa. Peter Bukvar. Um, Dan, I think that's an important point that Peter brings up, and that is what if we are in a recession and inflation is above 2%? They've come out and they've reaffirmed their commitment to price stability almost at all costs. I mean, they're aggressively committed to price stability. That sort of ties their hands just a little bit. Yeah, so their other mandate is obviously full employment. So if the unemployment starts to tick up, then they're really in a difficult situation. And I think this is one of the reasons why a lot of us, Peter is a great macro mind, but he also reads the K's and the Q's of a lot of individual companies, and he takes a lot of things out. And it really feels like by reading his work and what he's just had to say here is that we're kind of just on the precipice of figuring out what a slowing economy looks like at a time where I don't think any investor that I know, at least in our age group, can remember a time where the Fed's hands are so tight because usually their playbook is to get easy or at least talk easier. And I don't think that's a situation they can really do because, you know, again, inflation is going to stay way above that target for a long time. And unemployment is still very near those pre-pandemic lows. The unemployment part, I think, is interesting. I mean, we have passed what we used to think was maximum employment, right? So I do feel like the Fed does have some room. Again, it's another painful byproduct of a process of trying to get a handle on inflation. I think we could they could allow unemployment to rise a few percent. And still, I still think uh, that they're fulfilling their mandate. Right. And that was sort of the point or one of the points that Bill Dudley was making in his opinion piece on Bloomberg today. And that is, you know, consumers and corporations balance sheets are so strong. So the good part of that is that we're very strong heading into this tightening cycle into potential recession. At the same time, that means that the Fed will probably have to slam on the brakes harder, so to speak, Steve, in order to dampen that demand. If people have all the money in the bank to still spend on whatever it is, prices will stay still stay high. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you talk about a garden variety recession, I, I don't really know what that is, quite frankly. So <laughs> and, and then throw in China and then throw in Russia. So there's going to be I, I can't assess what a garden variety recession looks like to start off with. What I can assess, just, though, is that if Peter is if Peter's talking about the recession hitting in 2023 or we're on the cusp of it right now, the market is usually ahead by six months. You're going to see a viable bottom way before we even talk about how this turned out. 
what, what history tells us about a bear market that's inflation caused, as we've had three or four of them, is that they're not quick events. They're, they're, they're 18 month events. And, and so that's the troubling part about where we are today. Coming up, will the rise in EVs take a toll on ExxonMobil? CNBC's David Faber joins us in just a few minutes to give us an inside look at his new documentary, ExxonMobil at the Crossroads, premiering tonight at 8 p.m. The details in Faber straight ahead. But first, be mindful in this makeup name. Shares of Revlon surging after a bankruptcy announcement. But Karen Feinerman says, take some cosmetic caution. Her fine print is up next. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Revlon surging over the last two days. Retail investors seem to be betting that the bankrupt cosmetics giant will successfully emerge from Chapter 11, just like Hertz did last year. But our traders think you should tread carefully in this one. Here's uh, Feinerman, Karen Feinerman, with her Feinerman's fine print. So what should we... What to worry oh, nice about, Karen? What to nice worry graphic. about. Yeah, that. That you, got, cool. uh, you have to look at the debt, right? Bankruptcies are always about debt. And so we've got a company that has an enormous amount of debt. So let's just look at the most, most senior first lien, right? These have the biggest, the first claim on the value of this company. This debt has gotten crushed. The whole float's $800 million and change of this particular tranche of debt. It's trading at $0.33 cents on the dollar. So that's telling you this whole tranche trades at $250 million and yet it should get another 560 million in a bankruptcy way before the equity gets anything. And there's tons of tranches of debt. All of them become senior to the equity. And yet the equity today trading uh, in the last few days, it's actually closed at a buck 17, I think, on the day after they filed, traded as high as nine. This is a short squeeze of giant proportions. I tried to borrow some stock today. I wasn't going to short it because it could trade up to anything crazy. But just to see, is it available? No, it's not available. I see thousands and thousands of options trading. You've got to just, I, I understand if you want to play the greater fool theory, and that may work. It very well could work. But at the end of the day, I think Revlon equity isn't going to be worth as much. One other thing to think about. There is nobody who wants to get out of this stock, I think, more than Ron Perlman. And there is nobody who is trickier at, at sort of subverting or working his way through a capital structure than Ron Perlman. If I were he, I would have a bank seize my shares and pay them off and, and, and say, you know what, you owe a loan, we're selling your shares that's, I don't know how else he can sell him right now. He's an insider. Mm-hmm. But you've got to think he wants to. Right. And he owns 46 million shares. He's the largest shareholder by a lot. The game seems rigged to me. Maybe you can make money. Great. Have at it, as Dan would say. <laughs> but at the end of the day, probably don't be there. Well, it's not going to be a good look. All right. Coming up, the EV effect, how the rise in electric vehicles could impact ExxonMobil and how the company is navigating the shift. David Faber will join us next with the details. And we're diving into the options pits to see how traders are betting on biotech. More on the move they see in Gilead when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. President Biden calling on Congress to pause the federal gas tax until September as gas prices hover near all-time highs. But will elevated energy prices push drivers to turn to electric vehicles? And what would that mean for big oil? CNBC's David Faber got a chance to ask ExxonMobil CEO Darren Woods that very question. It is part of his documentary, ExxonMobil at the Crossroads. Here's what he had to say. 
We did some work very early on. They said, let's just make the assumption that ultimately every car in the world that's sold is electric and that ultimately, I think we got to by 2040, that every vehicle in the world is electric. And so you don't have gasoline sales. And frankly, at the time that we did that, we projected oil demand would be what it was back in 2013, 2014 timeframe. We were a pretty successful business in 2013, 2014. So our, our view was, look, it, it, that, will, that change will come at some pace, but that's not going to make or break this this business or this industry, quite frankly. It seems hard to imagine in a way, Darren, that you can sit here and tell me ExxonMobil is not going to really take a hit, so to speak, from a vast reduction in the use of gasoline on the planet. If you look going forward where the, the demand for oil, what's driving the growth in demand for oil, it's into chemical products, which play a really important role in people's lives today. David Faber joins us now with more. David, it looks spectacular, the documentary. Some of the shots are just amazing. Um, so he's talking about other revenue streams, basically, to replace oil. It, it just doesn't seem feasible that the other streams would be so big, even if you, if, if you assume that electric vehicles still require to be plugged into a grid, which is still going to be powered by nat gas, which they do deal in. Yeah, all true. Um, all true. You know, I, and yet, we were down doing that interview, Melissa, in Corpus Christi at a giant chemical plant that produces ethylene, polyethylene, takes a feed directly from the Permian. Uh, and of course, those are the building blocks for plastics. It's an enormous business for them already. Chemicals did over $7 billion in earnings last year, most likely going to be more this year. But it still is hard to imagine they'd only get back to 2014 levels uh, of sales if you were selling no gasoline. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I questioned him on it. That's where they came out. Obviously, they also believe that there will be a lot of other revenue streams coming into the company. Uh, as you point out, there is still going to be potentially a need for natural gas, for example, even for oil to power electric, you know, even though it's not used that heavily uh, for uh, in the grid in terms of powering electric plants. Um, and then there will be the efforts that they make. And this was a focus of our documentary in terms of reducing carbon in the atmosphere, carbon capture, hydrogen biofuels all designed to become significant producers, not just revenues, but profits at this company by 2040, that year that he cited. David, it's Karen. Thanks for being on and really looks fascinating. I, your question to him, I have sort of a side question to that, which is, do those other industries that they're relying on to maintain their revenue, do those also have an interest in becoming electrified? Or, you know, you talk about the other hydrogen they have. Won't that then replace some of their revenue, not necessarily expand it? Yes, it will. You're right. It will potentially replace some of the revenue, uh, although there are many people. And, you know, it's funny, Karen, these are still nascent efforts. I mean, they're going to spend $15 billion on these opportunities over the next six years. So about $2.5 billion a year for a company that we all know is going to generate enormous amounts of cash flow, particularly this year and certainly last year to some extent as well. Um, but some will replace and some will add. You know, if they can come up with something in terms of direct uh, air capture uh, for carbon, that will be a game changer. Right? They certainly know how to get things out of the ground. They know how to put them back in the ground, which is what you need to do. But these are vast efforts that they need to scale. Uh, and they haven't yet, but they talk about the fact that they will. Some will replace and some will be additive over time as well. Just quickly, David, um, I got to ask you for the, the viewers benefit the paces you had to go through in order for you to get onto that rig it wasn't an easy task for you to actually pass the test they put you through to get onto that rig 
Yeah, you know, it's, it's 33 years or so since the Exxon Valdez, uh, and obviously it's still something people remember about Exxon. But the company embraced safety under Lee Raymond, who took over not long after that terrible accident. Uh, and they're serious about it. And so for me to get on that helicopter, I had to go through a full day of training. We played the video of it. We had a great uh, package. On, uh, we played it on Squawk, Bo- uh, Squawk on the Street. Sorry. I think it was last week. Um, but, Melissa, it, it, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. Uh, being lowered into a pool, turned over and over, strapped in, underwater, <laughs> holding your breath, having to climb out either a window or across a row. And as much time as I spent in a pool, and you know, a lot of you guys know I'm a big swimmer, but once you get turned over, you have no idea where you are. You're like, I don't. Where am I? Uh, is left this my left? Is this my left? So it, it was. Let's just say it's not something I ever want to have to do again. <laughs> David, we look forward to watching this uh, hour tonight. Thanks, David Melissa. Faber, I would have drowned. I don't know how to swim. <laughs> um, the exclusive look inside ExxonMobil, unprecedented access to executives, workers, and facilities. ExxonMobil at the crossroads, premiering tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern time. All right. What's the trade here, Grasso? XOM. Uh, XO, I, I would think you have to make sales here. And if you look at a chart and you go back, it's pretty interesting. You go back uh, on an eight-year chart. ExxonMobil almost got da- up to the dollar from its July 2014 high and then faded. So granted, it's had an incredible year. But for the last five, six, seven years, it's done nothing. Energy has done nothing. So I think you just say thank you, take your profit, and move on. Um, these energy companies are making a lot of money right now, Tim, but that also makes them targets um, of the administration. I, look, I, I think there's been a lot of noise, and I think it's going to continue to be noise. Um, we need every barrel they can get out of the Permian. I mean, this is the distraction for these oil companies, and Chevron said this last week at a big J.P. Morgan event. I mean, they're, they're going from probably 150000 uh, a day, trying to get to 750. It doesn't address the refining issues in our country. Um, they, too, said they've got $10 billion towards um, new energies, which includes hydrogen, biofuels, renewables. I'll just say this. I, I, I think these companies are run so differently than they were. Um, a 20 5% pullback in Chevron off those highs, to me, is a place to be. If you don't and if you have missed, uh, I think this is a place to put the position on. Coming up, shares of Gilead climbing higher over the past week, but when options traders betting on a slowdown in this biotech name, we got the details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Gilead getting a bit of a bounce recently, jumping more than 5% over the last week. But one options trader sees a bumpy road ahead for this biotech name. Tony Zhang has the action. Tony. Yeah, Melissa. Today, Gilead very active, trading more than two and a half times the average daily volume. But one trade really stuck out. Over 11,000 contracts of the September 62 and a half calls were sold for about two and a half bucks. So this is a call sale that likely was tied to an equity position that has a market value of roughly $71 million. But this investor clearly sees very limited upside here for Gilead in exchange giving away all upside for just 4% of the stock's value over the next three months. So a fairly, uh, I would say, neutral, possibly bearish outlook on Gilead. All right. Thank you, Tony Zhang. For more options action, tune into the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, Final Trades. Time for the Final Trades. Steve Grasso. 
Cell Energy, XLE, still up 32% year-to-date. Sell any energy that you still hold. Smoke them if you got them. Tim Seymour. Oh, boy. I'm on the other side of that trade. So, Chevron, I will say you're right at that uh, uptrend from back to September, but I do think at 150, um, watch it hold this level uh, and buy Chevron. You don't need to do it tomorrow. Karen Feinerman. Yep. Selling those spider calls I bought the other day. Little theta, TikTok decay. Dan? Yeah, U.S. dollar, UUPs ETF attracts. I think it comes in back to trend, so another few percent. Thank you for watching Fast Day. Back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer and his exclusive with the Zuck starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.